remember my husband and I were somewhere and I was introducing myself to someone. I said, oh, well, I used to work at Goldman Sachs. And we got home and he's like, you have to stop that. He's like, you don't work there anymore. You just have to stop. And I wasn't even conscious that I was doing it. And I realized how pathetic that was. <laughs> but then I realized that one of the things that I was struggling with is that I didn't have words or a title to describe myself any longer. This is the Sustainable Ambition Podcast, the podcast that explores how to be ambitious and have fulfilling work from decade to decade without sacrificing your life or yourself. I'm your host, Kathy Onetto, and today I'm joined by Karen Flynn. And Karen's story is a perfect reflection on the podcast's exploration. Karen is the founder of Holos, a weekly newsletter for women in midlife focusing on health and wellness, longevity, and purposeful living. Prior to starting Holos, Karen was CEO of the Bay Area Discovery Museum, one of the top 10 largest children's museums in the country. And before that, she worked at Goldman Sachs as a vice president in the Private Wealth Management Group. In her philanthropic work, Karen mentors veterans through American corporate partners, serves on the board of directors of the International Spy Museum, and is a member of the advisory board of the Bright Day Foundation. She is also married, has three children, and in her free time, loves to be outside. What I appreciate in Karen's story and reflecting on her career was how she has navigated career transitions and life stages over time. She has periodically stepped out of full-time employment and then stepped back in, taking on significant roles and ambitions. She is an example of how we can craft fulfilling work over time and take on big ambitions at any life stage, how we can do so considering our family life and role as a parent, and how we can love work and also sustain ourselves. So let's learn more about Karen's story, how she's navigated her life and career, and how her current work with Holos is contributing to the conversation on health and wellness. Here is Karen Flynn. Karen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm so excited to talk with you today, and we have a lot of ground to cover, I know. I'd love to start with your career journey, because it's often where I start here on the podcast, and you've made some interesting pivots, I think. And so you worked in finance and then became CEO of the Bay Area Discovery Museum. And on your website, I love how you say that, quote, I do not believe in status quo and know that strategic risk and change are necessary for organizations and people to grow and thrive. So given that perspective, I was curious, was it hard to make that leap from finance to being a CEO? And how did you make that leap? I think the hardest part of any of the leaps that I have made is that a lot of people, and I think we're conditioned to think of our careers being linear and that you do one thing and it leads to the next thing. And then there's the next logical thing and so on. And I think that what I've come to believe for myself, and I think for others is true, is it really is about skill sets and that the skill sets we have are often transferable into very different industries or very different roles. They're, as long as you have similarities in those things. And so when I went from finance to becoming CEO, I had led teams by the you know before I went to the museum. I had led teams. I had done a lot of relationship management. That's a big piece of being in the private wealth management group is building and maintaining relationships. That's a big piece of being a CEO. 
strategy is a big piece of work as you were thinking about how to get clients, what you, how do you invest their money? The strategic piece of a portfolio is probably the most important rather than over individual stocks or securities that you might choose for someone. And so there were a lot of things that were very transferable to my role as CEO. And I'd been used to being accountable to myself and to the, you know, the bottom line where the buck kind of stops here. So it didn't seem as much of a stretch to me as it probably seemed to other people. What pulled you to the Discovery Museum? It sounds like so much fun. And some people listening might not know the Bay Area Discovery Museum. It's really quite iconic here in the Bay Area. And I imagine it felt very purposeful just because it's a very purpose-centered organization. At least that's my impression. So what pulled you there? And was it a lot of fun to work for that organization? So I ended up as CEO in a rather roundabout way. I had left Goldman when my kids were young and I didn't know what I was going to do next, but I didn't feel a pull to go back into finance actually, but I didn't know what, where the, my path was going to lead me. And I got very involved and joined the board of directors actually at the Bay Area Discovery Museum, which is one of the top 10 largest children's museums in the country. And I was the incoming chair of the board when our existing CEO left. The board asked if I would step in on an interim basis to, well, we did a search because there was no one on the leadership team at the time that would have been um, capable of running the organization. And I said, sure, I would love to. I'd always secretly wanted to be a CEO. And I thought, well, okay, I hadn't thought about CEO of a museum, but why not? And it ended up just being a really terrific fit for where the organization was at the time. And I agreed. After three or four months, the board approached me and asked if I would stay for a couple of years to position the museum to attract the kind of leader that we thought we wanted to. And as time went on, they just kept, it all seemed to keep working. And so I stayed for almost 10 years. And it was it a lot of fun. It was a lot of work. It was an interesting pivot in my career because I do think working for a nonprofit, often you do become more driven by purpose than by the bottom line or a paycheck or necessarily climbing the corporate ladder. And that was a big pivot for me. I didn't realize I was a purpose-driven person. That, that, that job helped me realize that and understand the role and importance of purpose in a career or in work. And it was fun from time to time. It was fun, but it was also a lot of work because <laughs> you're, you're, you're trying to accomplish all these big goals and ambitions, but on a very lean organizational structure and budget. So it is challenging. Right. And I, I think we often don't think about that or realize that. And yet I have been having conversations of late here on the podcast and also off the podcast with a lot of change makers. Mm. And this often ends up being the case where, you know, they're called by their purpose. And so they put a lot of time and effort into yeah. what they're doing. And yet they do often work within organizations where even what they're working on really isn't highly funded. And so mm -hmm. they feel those tensions. They're really real, especially given their high level of commitment. And then they also can get sh overly stretched and can end yeah. up leading to to burnout. So those are some of the conversations we, we've been talking about with some folks. I, and I think that it's not uncommon. And I definitely fell into this camp that by the time I left, I was really burned out. I was exhausted and burned out. And I was curious about that. When might you have noticed that that ambition shifted from like being exhilarating and kind of motivating to being kind of exhausting or draining? So one of the last big initiatives that I took on at the museum was a $20 million capital campaign. And I knew going into it that that would require 
another five years of my time there probably. So that was about three or four years into it. And I was like, you know, at that point I was very excited. I'm like, okay, I can do it. But two years with two years remaining, I, I, I knew the last two years were going to be very challenging. And I actually ended up taking a five week sabbatical at that point, because I, I really knew that I wasn't going to be able to continue all the way to the end if I didn't take some sort of break. And fortunately I had a board that was very supportive of that and it made a tremendous difference. That was what gave me the, you know, the final, to get over the the final sprint was that little bit of rejuvenation and perspective that, okay, yes, I can make it that. And then, you know, no one probably likes to talk about this, but I was also very specific with my board that I gave them a very long notice about that point. I said, I'm like, I'm giving you guys two years notice but come, you know, December, 2019, I will be done whether this campaign is done or not. And I could see, I knew where it was going to be at that time, but that was also part of survival. You know, it's very easy for people to keep like pulling you in, like just stay a little bit longer, just stay a little bit longer. And so I tried to figure out what I thought would be fair to the organization and the initiative, but also what would be fair to me and my family. And so you did end up choosing to step away from the role and you've taken some time you and you, if I recall you said that you wanted to take some time at home with your kids and this like as they were getting older in a certain stage in their life what else factored into that decision to kind of step away and did I'm curious if you struggled at all cuz oftentimes people struggle with this idea of dialing things down and mm. recalibrating their own expectations of themselves when they do that. And I'm curious if you struggled with that at all, or how, if not, like, how did you navigate that for yourself? I think I struggled with it more when I left Goldman, honestly, when I was younger. And in some respects, I felt that that was a forced decision. I had was pregnant with my first child. I came back after maternity leave, tried to go part-time, and that was... The, that didn't work out with them. Let's just say that it didn't work out with them. And so I was faced with this decision of leaving or staying. And given where my husband's career was, I made the decision to leave. So it was much harder because I liked, I really loved working there. So that was a much harder transition for me. I hadn't realized how much of my identity was wrapped up in work at that point. By the time I left the museum, I don't know if it's age and wisdom, but I also, I had done everything I'd gone there to do and more. I felt like I had left nothing on the plate. I really gave it 100% my all and left the organization in a better place than I found it, which I think is one measure of success. And I was, in addition to being burned out, I was also bored. I had done everything and I was starting to do the same things over and over. So I wasn't really learning or growing any longer in a way that was professionally fulfilling, professionally or personally. And that's one of my core values for myself is the idea of continuous learning. And I wasn't getting that any longer. So it honestly, it was not, that was not hard for me to leave or walk away. I was very ready to be like, okay, bye. <laughs> you know, you bring up identity and this is something that has come up with a lot of guests that I've had on where when they do make such a transition, like you said, walking, you know, mm. moving away from Goldman and stepping away from that, that, you know, you said your identity was tied up in your work. And I'm curious, how did you navigate that? And was there any tips or tools that you had that helped you kind of step into what was next and get a little bit more comfortable with the shifting of your identity at that time? Yeah. So I, I don't think I did it very particularly gracefully at the time. I remember my husband and I were somewhere and I said, 
I was in, maybe I was introducing myself to someone. I said, Oh, well, I used to work at Goldman Sachs and we got home and he's like, you have to stop that. He's like, you don't work there anymore. You just have to stop. And I wasn't even conscious that I was doing it. And I realized how pathetic that was. <laughs> and so that kind of like proverbial, like, you know, slap upside the head from my husband helped. But then I realized that one of the things that I was struggling with is that I didn't have words or a title to describe myself any longer. And what I had been surprised about and found very frustrating was that when we would go places and people would ask what I did, and I said, oh, I stay at home with my kids, or I'm a mom, that word, and I don't know if, it, I hope it's changed by now, but 20 years ago, people like literally would just be like, oh, and look the other way. It was as if you had nothing to offer and nothing interesting to say. And that was very humbling for me, coming from having worked at Goldman, have an MBA, pretty successful career. And just with like a switch of a hat, what, you know, wake up one morning working the next morning, not, and be completely different to people. So I actually sought out a career coach. And that was one of the big things we talked about was how much my identity was wrapped up in work. And Lori and I worked around, well, what are these other facets of you? How can you talk about yourself when you, you know, someone says like, what do you do? You can say, oh, I'm an avid athlete and I enjoy cooking. And She's like, when people ask what you do, they're really just trying to start a conversation. So you need to have prepared a more substantive answer. And that really did help. And then I, but I also found getting involved in some community organizations that gave me an outlet outside of just my kids or just as a wife helped me maintain part of my own semblance of identity. I didn't get consumed by those other roles, which I think is very easy sometimes when you're in a role which is in service of others, your own self can get lost easily. Yeah. So really looking to those other things to, to complement other right. sides of yourself and your own interests, and then being able to have that narrative to speak to sounds like it was really helpful. I'm curious also, because it's so interesting, I don't want to get gendered here, because there's yeah. sometimes a part of me that's like, ooh, was it women or was it men that like turned away when you said that you were, you know, it was mostly, I mean, it was, it was mostly men. And so I'm curious, like, did how did social support play into this? Because sometimes, you know, research suggests that actually that social support can be quite helpful mm -hmm. around helping you recalibrate. And actually, you know, with the right support, they can help you step into alternative ambitions. And and yet, you know, not everybody gets the kind of social support that might be helpful as they're looking to step into something new or make these choices for themselves around their ambitions across work and life. I'm curious what you found for yourself around that. I think it it was almost like it's been two different stories. That first one, when I, I moved to San Francisco for my job at Goldman. And so I didn't really have a lot of friends outside of work. So you go from having your peer group then is still working, still doing the same thing. They're not best positioned to help you think about your life, your new life when you're out step outside of that. And then I met a whole new group of friends through my kids and they were moms, but our point of commonality was really our kids. And that was, you know, one part of my identity, but not every part of it either. And so for a long time, it was very, it was hard. I just, I kind of just had to make my own way. I kept in touch with some, you know, my professional friends because I still really love, I love to work actually. And then the mom things were interesting because it was a new stage of my life and a new set of people to share those experiences with. But I realized that neither was going to be completely satisfying to me. So I had to find something a little bit in the middle. And I think that's 
probably the case for most people is you got to fight in your own way and be comfortable mm. that there isn't just a path, one path. Right. I think that's important. That's for sure. I'm curious if you, as you've experienced these different pivots across mm. your life, what do you know now on the other side? And if you were to offer any mm. counsel to others who might be stepping into these pivots where they're stepping into or out of life work focus, what might you suggest for them? One, I think you have to be patient. I think transitions take time and there will inevitably be ups and downs. There'll be total highs and you're like, this is the best thing I've ever done. And then there'll be lows where you're like, oh my God, did I really think this all the way through? <laughs> I think that that's a natural part of those transitions. Um, the other part is you have to really, I think, believe in yourself. And it goes back to something I said earlier that when you step out of certain roles, you still are the same person. You have the same strengths and skill sets and abilities. And people can't take that away from you. And there's a lot of different ways that you can put those to use. And you just have to be flexible in your own thinking, I would say, and, you know, and creative, flexible and creative, and not afraid to put in the hard work either. It's interesting because you're almost saying like you really haven't lost your identity. If you anchor your identity more in like the skill sets yes. that you developed as opposed to in the actual company name or in the title that mm -hmm. you held, which I think is really um, a helpful reframe in thinking about yeah. that. I yeah, think it's why there's a lot and there's a lot written about this and discussed now like internal versus external validation. But I think that that is actually the crux of a lot of this is like being able to find that within yourself, because the more you rely on it externally, whether it's the title or the job or the money or the whatever, those are things that other people control. You don't control those. And so that leaves you a little bit at the emotional whim of others, really, and your happiness at the whim of others versus things that you can control. You know, I'm curious, based on your experience and this shift in, in how you've been living your life, what you've been learning around Holos, which I'll get back to, is just how you think about success now in your life. Has that shifted over time? It definitely have. I mean, the beginning of my career was all about like, what's the best company I can work for? How much money can I make? Um, look at me, look at me. <laughs> you know, what are the external awards? And I think part of being able to shift my definition of success, if I'm honest, is that I have been fortunate to achieve some of my professional goals. So I can say like, I've done this, I've done that. So that feels very good. So, you know, there is room for me to move on. I'm not left thinking like, oh, wow, I didn't achieve anything I wanted to set out to. But now it really is more about, it really is about finding purpose, like feeling that within myself that I, and it's very trite, but also feeling like I can use my skills and experience for good to make the world better. I think that that, particularly when you see so much angst and the news between politics, et cetera, it's so negative. I, I wouldn't want to contribute into that. I would rather be somehow a force for good in a bigger, small way, but be able to be a force for good and something positive. Mm. And that to me feels more successful. And I also, it's taken me a long time to value my role as a mom on par with my role professionally, even though it doesn't change how much I love my kids, but to really own that and be a hundred percent comfortable with that. And so now when I think what is success, it's having, and I think that was one of the reasons when I left the museum, I was very clear that being able to be around for my kids before they headed off to college was really important. And going forward, being able to be available to them emotionally and physically in terms of time to do things or, you know, meet their needs is really important to me and being very candid and like kind of non-negotiable about that. 
What shifted for you around that to kind of claim that? Is it partly because you had achieved some success with your career or was it more a shift in mindset? Because it sounds like that shift in really claiming it. And also, as you stepped away from the museum and saying, this is where I want to shift and put my attention and my time right now, because this is really important to me to be there for my kids during this stage was very intentional for you, Mm -hmm. it sounds like. And as you're saying, you really claim that. And yet, when you first stepped away, say from Goldman, like that was different. And it sounds like, you know, you were experiencing things different out in the world, you were in a different stage of life, and you had grown, etc. But I'm curious if there's anything else that kind of, as you said, allowed you to claim that a little bit more. So there's a framework that I have used over over the years to check in on my life, as if you will. And it's essentially... I don't remember where I saw it. And there's probably other things like it similar, but essentially five circles and they intersect. And a good life is a balanced life. And it's, there's spiritual, there's health, there's professional, there's friends, family, and community. And then there's personal growth and development. And I remember, and it was probably, probably around the time I was getting, starting to feel very burned out at work, maybe even a year earlier, where I sat down and did that. I was on a plane going somewhere And I realized that my professional circle was huge. And then there was my family circle. And then everything else was basically a dot. And I thought, this really is not, this is really not a way to live a healthy, happy life. And I think it was at that moment where I knew that something had to change. I obviously had these professional commitments that I had to um, see through, but I knew that when I left, one of my specific goals was to spend more time with my kids over the next like two to three years, like hands down, that other things would take a little bit of a backseat. I wanted to, I think it probably also evolved with my own interest in figuring out what role spirituality played for me in my life. I didn't grow up religious or spiritual. And that was one of the, the dots. It wasn't even a circle. So I knew I needed to figure that out. And the relationships, I, I you know, I had friends, but I didn't spend a lot of time on those relationships or nurturing that. I just frankly didn't honestly have the time. And I thought, well, that's got to shift too. There has to be more balance in my life on an ongoing basis. You know, obviously day to day, it may not always look like that, but I, I wanted, I wanted more balance. And I figured I was the only person who's going to be able to do that for myself. I love that you claimed that and kind of took ownership for yourself and saying, this is what I want to make happen. And, you know, you write on your website, I want to live an intentional, purposeful and joyful life. And I need to be clear on what is most important to me. Only with clarity can I set meaningful, fulfilling goals and have the courage to take the risk to achieve them. So I was curious, what's helped you get clear on setting meaningful, fulfilling goals? It might have been that model of those circles, but has there been anything else that has helped you? So one was the circles. And then the other was um, defining my values. I realized I'd gone my whole life. And if someone said, you know, you go to these, all these like work retreats and I go, oh, I do values and nothing ever really resonated. I could never really come up with anything that stuck. And then there was a guy named Robert Glazier who runs Acceleration Partners. And he has a whole exercise on values and the way that he walks you through it and what he comes up with really resonated. And so I did that process and between the circles and kind of this idea of balance in my life, his values, because his value, well, they're my values, but the values I developed going through or landed on going through his process have given me a framework for basically saying yes, no, maybe, and how I allocate and commit my time. 
And then the other piece is recognizing that we all have a finite amount of time, money, and health, and that they don't line up necessarily. And that comes from a great book called Die With Zero. And when I think about those, those three frameworks, if you will, that's kind of how I use, like I think about big decisions or pivots now and how I want to spend my time or not spend my time or if something is feeling off, I'll kind of go back to those and feel like, okay, which one of these areas is like speaking to me that I need to spend some more time around. Can you say more about the Die With Zero? I'm curious about that. Yeah, it's a book written by a guy who's an energy trader. And he has this philosophy that the, I'm, I'm this is my take on his book, is that life is about accumulating experiences, not accumulating money. And that we have this weird mindset that we go through our life in like our 70s and 80s saving when the reality is, at a certain point, much earlier than people think, you will have accumulated enough money to live where the focus is more on accumulating experiences and doing the things that you've always wanted to do in life versus just saving, saving, saving. And I have to tell you, this book has totally transformed how I think about wealth accumulation as it is towards retirement, my kids, and really made me think more about these experiences. And he talks a lot about that when you're young, you have more time but not a lot of money, you have a lot of health. In your midlife, maybe it's like the sweet spot, but you tend to not have very much time because you're like, you have family, career, and then people always think they're gonna have their health a lot longer than they do, and most people don't. So it's trying to find the sweet spot of those three variables. Well, that's a good transition into starting to talk about Holos. I wanted to hear a little bit more about Holos. What brought you to start it? And can you tell us a little bit more about it and what you've been doing with it? So when I left the museum, one of my other goals was to explore my passion and interest in health and wellness. And it's always been a person, I read about it all the time. I listen to it. I think about it. I drive my husband crazy and my kids crazy about it. And I also realized I was just about to turn 50 and it dawned on me that my peers and myself were thinking about midlife in a very different way than our mother's generation. And that there was an opportunity, but that oftentimes people didn't know, particularly on the health and wellness side, didn't know a lot about their own health because frankly, not a lot of research is done on women in terms of medical research. And the information is very fragmented. I was going through perimenopause and the information on that was often wrong and very fragmented. And so I decided, I thought, I was like, well, how hard can it be to set up a website and you know, start a blog and just have an opportunity to talk and share with people things that I nerd out on and love to think about, but they may not, but they would still like to know like the net net, you know, it's like, give me the, give me the 800 word article on what I should do or not do. And that was really the genesis of it. And it's been a really fun way to explore and digest midlife and what it means to be 45 to 60 in the world right now as a woman, as a woman. How do you think about this arc of life? I think that it is, well, one, as I also say, I think maybe in the first article I ever wrote for Holos, I don't think about it so much as an arc as just like, I'm going strong to the end. You know, it's like a one way, like you got to keep going. I appreciate that. There's no down. There's no down. There's no down. I don't think, I really don't think of there of it as a down. I think that's why, um, having said that, you do, there are changes that will occur. 
But I think of them more as exactly that. They're just changes in an evolution rather than necessarily a negative of like, I used to be able to do this. Now I can only do that. I try to be very, not very careful about the words I use, even for my own, um, with my own self as I think about different things. I really appreciate that because I think that many of us struggle with these changes that happen over time. And yet we, you know, we see it as we do see it as like a decline Absolutely. And, as opposed to just, you know, seeing it as you, I'm, things are just changing. Yes, I mm -hmm. can't do what I did in my 20s, but I can still be athletic. It might not look like what I was doing yeah. when I in my 20s, but I can still be active and I still want to be active. That's just one example. But, you know, we often I think our society doesn't help, right? You know, but we can get down no, on ourselves in terms easy. of these changes. But I, I appreciate just kind of honoring the changes as opposed to being critical of them. But I think also, yes, and I don't think we do enough to honor the change, the changes that we go through and recognizing that with those changes, there's also a silver lining as it is with anything. You know, when you're young, you might have a lot of energy, but you're kind of like more chaotic and all over the place. And you don't have a lot of wisdom because you haven't lived long enough. You get to our age and suddenly you're like, wow, I do have wisdom or experience to share. I might be more reflect self-reflective or just reflective in general and less willing to fly off, you know, the handle at the drop of a pin. So I think that, and we don't necessarily value those other things that we're gaining, but you couldn't have those without accumulating them over time. And so I think you get things in, you get different things to replace the other things. Is there anything as you've looked at this stage in life and you look to earlier stages, is there any advice that you might have for people who are in earlier stages to kind of maybe reduce the angst as they look ahead? Oh, I think the only advice I have, and it, but it falls a little bit into this trite category, is that, you know, when you look back on your life, you can kind of see the path and you think, oh, that makes all sense. But when you're going through it, it doesn't necessarily make sense. And it's a little bit of having to have faith and trust that things will work out the way they should. I think it's Joseph Campbell that has a great quote that's something along the lines of, if you can see your path in life laid out in front of you, it's not your path because your path happens basically step by step as you're building it. And I think that that's really true. And I wish that I had had the confidence and the trust and the faith that things would all work out. That if I just kept, I just, if I just kept putting one foot in front of the other, you don't necessarily always where it's going, but one foot in front of the other, that it would work out. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I love that quote as well. It's it's kind of like if you are if you know the path that's in front of you, it's likely not your own. And so, yeah. you know, because it's already and you're you're right. It's you're going to create your own path going yeah. as you're saying step by step. And honestly, how boring would it be if you knew exactly from like today until the day you were going to die exactly what was going to happen to you? That would be I mean, mind-numbingly boring and probably really dispiriting actually to feel you had no agency. Yes. Well, I wanted to come back to the health and wellness side of those too, in terms of, I'm curious if you've learned, I mean, you've learned a lot. You have a lot of articles on your website that <laughs> I was perusing. And I'm curious through your exploration, if there's one or two tips that you might pull out around that you'd focus people on around how we can better sustain ourselves as mm. we're going after our ambitions. So I, I sleep, you got to sleep. And I think we live in a culture and a time that does not prioritize sleep. And we people brag about how little sleep they need. 
and it's so boring, <laughs> but to like to focus on getting enough sleep consistently, I think is absolutely you're you make better decisions, you feel better, you feel more joy, you're a nicer person to be around, you're smarter, it's better for your health. You can prevent really it's like in terms of disease prevention, sleep. So I would say absolutely that. And then if I had to pick one other, it's a toss up because I would group, you know, exercise, diet, stress management in one. But I think another really important piece is find something that is really important to you that brings you joy and find ways to do that on a regular basis. All those other things are important too, but I really think that finding joy and love in your life are the things that will sustain you. Is there a current practice you're playing with to sustain yourself? Um, so I have a, I think of it as like my, my triple crown. So I have a gratitude practice that I do every morning that I, I've been doing it for three years now. And I swear it has rewired my brain. It, I, I feel like I just am more inclined to see the positive to in my life across the board now. And it's been re- extremely powerful I meditate for somewhere between 10 and 15 minutes most mornings. And then I took up journaling. And those three things, if I am doing those consistently, that's when I feel the most grounded, most centered, most present. Well, I'm curious what's next for you. So you had shared how you think about sustainable ambition as being about finding the right purpose at the right time in one's life and recognizing this is an evolving and changing process. And you mentioned purpose earlier in our conversation, kind of what purpose is calling you now? Do you have something that's a focus? I do, and I'm not sure where they match up. Holos for me was never meant to necessarily it it's not a hobby but it is it was an exploration of this field of health and wellness a way for me to test the waters and see if there was an appetite for this content to explore it further myself and see how i felt about it but i have always wanted to have my own company forever and ever and i have realized that the time is now and so i need to figure out how that intersects with my passion around health and wellness and what that looks like and now that I've really honed in on like that really needs to happen because when I think about left like goals and what it is I want to achieve and that's the thing that always sticks up. And as my friend said, she's like, Karen, you've been talking about this for 25 years. And I was like, all right, you know what? You're right. It's time to get on with this. So I don't know exactly what direction. Well, and what I appreciate about this, so you said earlier, you love to work. And yet, you know, and I'm somebody like, I like to work too. And yet, I also believe in sustainability. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes people often feel that those things can conflict. And I don't know, I don't think they have to. And so what I also hear is that right now, at this stage in life, you're still looking at a really big ambition, like, I want my own company. And so I'm curious how you think about that and how that feels for you at this stage in life. You know what's funny is I feel like I'm coming back into a time when I I'm I definitely feel recharged. My kids are come September, they I will not have any kids living at home full time, and suddenly I was like, wow, I'm at a place where I can really embrace this big lofty goal and apply a lot of time to it. So it's interesting that life gives you these little gifts, right? Where all of a sudden it's like the stars are lining up that, ah, this might be the right time to pursue that actually. 
Well, you you mentioned, I said this earlier, that you write about having the courage to take the risks and to embrace change as well. Mm. And I'm curious if there are certain things that provide, like give you that courage, or is it already innate in you? Or are there other things that you feel also give that you that courage to kind of step into embracing these next ambitions and, and what's next? I think I'm somewhat wired that way. I love change, actually. I love novelty and I love newness. <laughs> so there is an element that I am drawn and attracted to that. And I knew that when I left the museum, for example, that I wanted to do something very different. I didn't want to go run another museum. I didn't want to go run another children's education center. I wanted to do something very different. So I'm not afraid of that. Having said that, anytime you try something new, it's daunting because you sit there and you think you have to go back to being a beginner again. And you can get really comfortable being in your space of like, I know how to do this and I am this person. And you kind of have to shed all that and be back to like, oh, I got to ask that really naive question again. And, you know, be the person in the room who definitely does not know even remotely the most. But it's also kind of exhilarating. And I've been thinking about it a lot with two college age kids that that's the way they feel about the world. They don't have any expectations that they've got it all figured out. And I tell my kids, like, don't. I'm like, go forth, go explore, take some risks. And it dawned on me about a year ago when I was giving that advice. I was like, that is exactly the advice I should take for myself. Like, I don't need to necessarily know. I can go try a lot of different things and be the naive newbie and feel okay with that. I so appreciate you bringing this up because so many people really want clarity and they want certainty. Mm. And it's really uncomfortable to step into not knowing. And I think this is true for for young kids as well. And yet it sounds like your kids are a little bit different in this regard. And I think it's really great to allow ourselves that spaciousness. I always, I often say with some friends to learn into things, to try things out. And you know, it's it just, I, I always reference Herminia Ibarra's, and I, oh, I probably am not pronouncing her name right, but her, her book called Working Identity and how she writes about, you know, we don't, we don't become through thinking, we become through acting. Mm-hmm. And we don't always know what we're going to like or what we're going to be drawn to unless we get yeah. into action and actually try things. Yeah. And so even at this stage in life, it requires that. <laughs> it really does. And unless we embrace that growth mindset, even at this age, you know, it's really, you're not going to know. So you kind of have to, um, it's not comfortable. We humans don't like change. Not all of us like change <laughs> like you, Karen. <laughs> and so, you know, most of us want some a level of certainty. And, and, and yet, if we can learn to release some of that and learn to dance with the learning as we go and, and embrace that exploration, I think it, it makes it a little bit easier on us. You're right. It's hard. It's really hard. I love the idea of use the word spaciousness. I think that is spaciousness. And, you know, one of my own personal challenges has been So you start to try something new and if you don't like it, it's very hard as an adult to just be like, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. You're like, I already spent the money. I did this. I've committed to it. And being able to be like, yeah, I don't think I like that very much anymore. Even if it's something you were so excited to do, I can think of a couple of things and I'm like, yeah, I don't really like that very much anymore. And I felt really sheepish walking away. Like, I'm like, oh, does this, what does this say about me as a person? I'm very goal oriented. I do what I say. And so it's, it's definitely can be hard. Yes, for sure. Well, this has been wonderful, Karen. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experiences with us and, and what you've learned along the way. Would you have just a final piece of counsel that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Yeah, I would say that 
keep in, you know, for, try to keep in mind for yourself is that we're constantly evolving beings and that we need to keep trying new things, taking risks, and also not being afraid to get rid of things which don't serve us any longer. And that I think that's the way, the path forward for success and happiness in life. I love that. It really brings forward exactly what we were just talking about before I asked you about the International Spy Museum, (laughs) really kind of like dancing with that change as well as like being able to let go of those things that you might be realizing like this isn't a fit Mm -hmm. after all right now. So I might as well move on. Well, great. Well, where can people find you if they want to keep in touch? So they can find me at holos5050.com and you can subscribe to the newsletter there. I am a rare contrarian that I don't do any other social media. I focus mostly on the newsletter. I figure hearing from me once a week is probably sufficient, um, but would love to have people check it out. Fabulous. Well, thank you again, Karen, for being on. I so appreciate you sharing your story with us and sharing your wisdom. Thank you. As we wrap up today's conversation, I was reflecting on how Karen has been able to craft a fulfilling life and career over time. There are a few themes that really stood out to me. One was around how you can take pauses in your career and then step back into work. And what's really vital in that is to, what I would say, is invest in your potential by continuing to develop and invest in your skill sets. And as Karen so aptly says, We never lose those. They're always with us. No one can take those away from us. So how can we, as we make transitions from one thing to the other, really lean into those skills and our past experiences to help us step back in to work when we're ready? If we do step out, the other thing that was really important that we talked about was this idea about shaping our identity. People have really talked about how this can be a sticking point for them. So I think before we step away from what we might have done or before we step into that transition period, it can be helpful to actually plan for how you want to talk about who you are. And within that, to continue to invest in building your personal identity. I think it's great to also embrace the other sides of our ambitions, ones that are not related necessarily to work. Being a parent and having a family is an ambition in and of itself. And I appreciated how Karen has learned to claim that role of being a parent and really claim her identity as being a mother. That might be the case for you as well. Or are there other aspects of who you are where you want to really claim that part of your identity outside of traditional work? Now, I do really want to also punctuate this point around making transitions and how when we do so, it can take time. And I appreciated how Karen brought forward that we need to be patient with ourselves and to just be prepared for both the highs and lows that go along with that. But I also really appreciated what Karen had to say, quoting her, she said, we need to keep trying new things, taking risks and also not be afraid to get rid of things which don't serve us any longer. We are ever evolving. We are changing beings and our circumstances and our environments change too. If we're not open to trying new things and stepping into new situations based on how things are evolving, how are we going to continue to feel fulfilled and satisfied in what we're crafting for ourselves? I appreciated how Karen said, I think that's the way forward for success and happiness in life. It's being willing to dance with these ever-evolving situations and changes that we encounter. What about for you? As you reflect on today's conversation, what spoke to you? 
And what might be one insight that caught your attention that you can put into action for yourself? With that, thank you for being here with me to learn from Karen Flynn. I'll be back soon with another story of sustainable ambition. And in the meantime, make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips, guides, and tools by signing up for Sustainable Ambition Forum, my twice monthly newsletter. Sign up at sustainableambition.com slash subscribe. That's it for today. You've been listening to the Sustainable Ambition Podcast, and I'll see you next time.